Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled, Labors for Christ, a Cooperative Effort. When we're baptized, we receive a laying on of the hands and we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit resides with us and it helps us, it guides us, directs us, and strengthens us. And so we don't live our lives on an island. No man is an island. And Paul spoke of the mystery of Christ, that being Christ in you. In Colossians, 127 is my first scripture, which is really early in, in, in my process here. I don't usually go to scriptures this early in the introduction. But Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. This is Paul writing, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. For this I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul tells us a lot about this cooperative effort that we are engaged in. How his goals and objectives of warning men, of teaching men, of giving them wisdom so that they may be presented before Jesus Christ as perfect, and that this is a labor, and he's striving for it. And it works mightily within him. And that's what I want to talk about, because one of the key elements in doing this mighty works is faith. And we'll get to that a little later. But first I want to review some of the scriptures that you all know very, very well. Uh, you can quote them. But I thought it would be appropriate to review them anyway of Christ in you and what some of the things the Holy Spirit and Christ in us does for us. Going to John 15, 26, that's John 15, 26. He tells us, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me and bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And continuing in 16.6, I don't think I gave you that scripture, Brian. 16.6, let's go down to 7, 16.7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this is what it helps us 
to do in our cooperative effort. Jesus sent us a comforter and a helper. And continuing over in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 and 8, Paul writes on the same subject, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 and 8, have what I want here. For who makes thee to differ from one another? What hast thou that did not, you, did not receive? Now, if thou did receive it, why did thou glory? And if thou hast not received it, I'm not sure that's the scripture that I really wanted to have. I think I um, got the wrong scripture there. First Corinthians 4. Where's 11? Well, that's not what I wanted. I wrote down the wrong thing. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These are some of the personal labors that we do to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of our flesh and our spirit. And we don't do it alone. It is through his power, his guidance, and his direction, and his help. But we have to be willing, and we have to desire to accomplish that. If we turn our back from him and exclude him from this labor, we will not be as successful as we should be. And continuing in John 15, 5, back in John 15, 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Continuing in 6, if a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them, cast them into the fire, and burn them. Continuing in 7, if you abide in me and my words, and, and my words abide in you, you shall ask in what you will, and it shall be done unto you. In this my Father is glorified, in that you bear much fruit, so you be my disciples. This is, again, part of the cooperative effort, and he gives us insight into the results of what happens by seeking this cooperative effort. Jesus is the head of the church, and he leads us in the paths that we should go corporately as a church, and individually as individuals, people. But he does, he, at the same time, he also gives us quite a bit of latitude, as we know in our own experiences. And part of that latitude is so he can try and test us, so we can learn the things that he's taught us, so we can listen to the Holy Spirit, use the Holy Spirit, and become acquainted with his way of doing things. 
Sometimes we look negatively at that. We pray about something that's really, really important to us. And we pray, we cry out, and we look for an answer, and we don't see an answer coming. And we wonder, why is he not hearing me? Well, he probably is hearing me. But he wants to see you handle it. He may be saying, I have taught you the principles. I am here within you. Listen to the still, small voice and start solving the problem, dealing with the issue, one step at a time, applying my principles, listening to my guidance, listening to my direction. I'm here for you. And that's where your faith comes in. I think we already talked about some of the, some of the aspects of the labors. But let's look at them even if we are redundant um, in, in doing so. In 2 Corinthians 7.1, we already addressed this. But we'll hit it again here because this is one of the tasks of the cooperative labors that we are doing with Christ. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. It's one of the tasks of our labor. And one that we know very, very well is in Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always unto the end of the age. There is a lot said in that one little scripture teaching whatsoever I have commanded you in all the world and believing that he is with you all the time. And depending on where you're doing the work of God, where you're living, it may be entirely different. If you're here in the United States, it's a pretty mundane environment we have. It's not very threatening as opposed to being a Christian and living in Iran or in Egypt. The function of the individual and of the corporate church may vary quite differently in Iran or Egypt or Somalia versus how it functions in the United States. But in all of it, we are still to labor for something very special. Jesus said he is the bread of life. And he goes on to say in John 6, 27, John 6, 27, labor for that food which perishes, not, not for the food that perishes, but for that food that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has God the Father sealed. And this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. Again, part of the labor Faith is a labor. It just doesn't happen. It's easier not to believe than to believe, isn't it? 
And that's where our own personal relationship comes in. Because when we experience that answered prayer, when we experience that open door that only we know that we have prayed about and nobody else knows, and we're going through life and all of a sudden that door opens, you say, that's it. I've been waiting for that. And then you need the faith and confidence to go through that door. And evangelism and cleaning ourselves up, there's more, many, many more labors. And I would really like to expand this message and define many of those labors. I simply have not had the time to do that. But I'd like to go back, and we all are very well aware of these labors also in Revelation given to the seven churches. <laughs> Excuse me. The church of Ephesus, they left their first love. So one of their labors is to get back to that first love. You see, the love of Christ isn't necessarily just an emotion. There is some in there, yes. But a lot of it is actions. What you do, how you do it, when you do it, why you do it. You know, the five W's. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. All come into play. And in Smyrna, he said they have no faults. But they will still be tested and suffer tribulation. And some will be killed. And this, these scriptures are in uh, Second Revelation, Revelation 2. Uh, Ephesians uh, is verse 4, and Smyrna is right after that. But no fault, but they will be tested. Tested for what? Faith. Tested for faith. To follow the way. And you may have more of that testing and being killed if you're in Iran or Egypt and being a Christian there than you would here in the United States of America. And to the per church at Pergamos, he gives them some corrections. They need to labor to correct the doctrine of Balaam, distorting the law, accepting the sin, greed, eating things offered to idols, committing fornication, the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. All are labors. They don't just. Solutions just don't roll off the plate to us. The first point is awareness. If you're not aware that you have accepted the doctrine of Balaam, you're not going to be doing anything to change it. Are you? Or if you're not aware that you're committing spiritual fornication, you're not going to undertake any labor to correct it. So awareness is one of the most key points in laboring with Christ. And then it's taking it to him and talking with him about it. Because it's a cooperative effort. We're not alone out here where the scripture says, thou shalt not. And you say, yeah, but I did. And, 
and then we get negative. We feel like, gee, I, I'm not living up to what I should be. And he's there and saying, hey, David killed somebody. You haven't done that yet. Yeah, what you did wasn't right, but I know you're on the right path. I know you're developing, and I know where you're going to be a year from now if you continue on the path. Just because you tripped over that stone and fell in the mud, you don't stay down there growling in it and feeling sorry for yourself. You stand up, clean yourself off, and say, all right, let's continue on down this path. The destination's down there somewhere. Let's get back at it and talk to Christ about it. And ask, give me the insight why I didn't have the awareness to see that stone that I stepped, that, that I stepped on or tripped over. So the next time, I won't do the same thing. And sometimes we have to step on that stone two, three, four times, or trip over that same stone before we begin to see it, because we don't understand the spiritual impact, or we don't understand the influences that are around us, because no man is an island. We have influences from all different kinds of sources. And then there's the church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, 20 through 22. Seduction. Allowing the servant, God's servants to be seduced. Again, spiritual fornication, perhaps literal. Defiling the conscience. Spiritual strength gotten from Christ, talking to him about the issues and asking him for that strength so that you can walk the walk and talk the talk and demonstrate your faith through a cooperative labor, a cooperative effort with him. In Sardis, Revelation 2, 2 through 4. A little bit of a different problem. He says, strengthen the things that remain. So they had lost a lot of things. They, were, they hadn't been laboring, striving in a positive manner. They had been letting things fall to the wayside somewhat. And he says, strengthen the things that remain. You know, one of the things that need to be strengthened all the time because you can look at this a little bit differently and have a little bit different slant on this. One of the things that will remain in the future for this church right here are those that are the youth today. Those that are 16 years old today, that 10 years from now will be 26. Strengthen the things that remain, the things that you have, so that those youth 10 years from now are still here. And we strengthen them by showing our belief and our faith and our confidence in them. And showing our, our confidence in him that he will bring about a successful effort on their behalf. <laughs> kind of like that. I can dance around a little bit. 
And of course, we're all familiar with the Laodicean church. And that's probably the most, the biggest risk for all of us. Rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. I, a number of years ago, probably, oh my goodness, probably eight, ten years ago, I had a call in the afternoon from a religious organization and they, they said, we, well, we see what you, you've gotten some literature from us and you've given us some support and all. We were just wondering what we could do for you. And we were wondering, is there any, is there any aspect in your life where you'd like to be put on our prayer list? And I thought and thought and thought. I'm rich and increased in goods, right? Gee, I, I, I have all the money I need. I have my health. I don't have any problems there. I'm single. I don't have any problems with any kids. Oh. I don't, I don't think I have any problems. So I reference them to some other people's names. And I put some other people on their prayer list. Because I couldn't think of any problems that I had. But the problem was I did have problems, but I'm looking at the physical, aren't I? I don't have any, I don't have any problem with money. I don't have any problems with other people. I don't, but what are my spiritual problems? What would Jesus say to me if they asked Jesus, what's Art Williams' problems? What would he said? Ah, maybe something different, right? Maybe something different. I probably wouldn't want to hear that list, would I? But that's part of where your mind is focused and what he wants. And that's where rich and increased in goods derails us, gets our mind on the physical. Everything's great. I got cream in my coffee, sugar in my coffee. And he goes on to say to the Laodicean church, you don't know how bad off you really are. And you're not getting destitute. And you're neither hot nor cold. Because to do the labor with Christ cooperatively, we need to be hot. Hot. On fire. God is not constrained by the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, the laws of thermodynamics, any of the laws of our physical universe. The speed of light, he's not constrained by it. Neither is he constrained by the methods of men. The methods of men the methods of men that they imply when they do evangelism, or the methods of men when they undertake a financial episode. Man can go out and do a statistical analysis of a financial situation and say, thus and such and so and so. Uh, according to all the statistics and all the information, this is what we're going to have next year for our income. 
God's not restrained by that. God's not constrained by that at all. He's not constrained by advertising and marketing methods, the way they employ them. You know, in business and also, I will say, in some religions, they go out and they hire slick sales and marketing people to do a customer evaluation, get a profile of their customers. What are the needs of my customers? How much money do they make a year? What do, what do they typically do with that money? What do they want to do with that money? What's their economic strata in society? And then they structure themselves to accommodate those needs. God is not constrained by those methods. If he's calling someone, he can prick their heart and he can put the situations before them and in their place to call them or to modify their behavior or to correct something in their life that needs to be corrected. Part is, on our, our half, is the willingness. The willingness to undertake the cooperative effort. The cooperative effort, as I said earlier, is a walk of faith, selecting a path, correcting that path with him, cross-checking with him, talking to him about the path that we've selected to see if he has something else in mind. Perhaps he doesn't. Perhaps he's going to, as, as one evangelist said a number, number of years ago, before he started his evangelistic effort, he said, I prayed and prayed and prayed and I looked for an answer from God. Should I start this evangelistic effort or not? And a couple of months go by and he got no answer, no indication one way or the other. He finally said, well, I guess I'll do it and see what happens. And he was successful. He didn't have to be, but maybe he had what it took. Maybe God just wanted him, take the first step and I'll guide you the rest of the way. Let's get going with the program. Where does it say, thou shalt not... Take the evangelism to the world. It doesn't say that, does it? It says take the witnessing to the entire world. And Jesus, before his death, he told one man who came to him, go and publish what the Son of Man has done for you. The man came back later and said to him, I want to be with you and your disciples. I want to be with... And he said, no. No. You're not... No. Go publish. Separate from the disciples. This man, he did a good work. You read about the results that he got. He did a good work. There he is. So you can, you can do it on your own, too. But it's better with the cooperative because you have the Holy Spirit. And he expects you to do, if you're baptized, and you have repented and you have the Holy Spirit. You have a little bit of a different relationship when that man who just went out and was doing it because he was appreciative of having been healed. And he gives us that wisdom and the insight through his Holy Spirit. And this is all leading up to the final scripture that I want to give. And that's, it's been meaning an awful lot to me here in the last couple of months. We find it in 
1 Corinthians 2. And I'll start in verse 4. This is Paul writing. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Man's wisdom and enticing words. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And here's the key point. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's what this message is all about. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Not how man does it, not why man does it, not when man does it, or who, what man does it, but in the faith and the power of God. Because God is not constrained by all of the wisdom of men.